Commonwealth Magazine's The Codcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg, here with my colleague Bruce Mole, and we're joined today by House Transportation Committee Chairman William Strauss. House leaders just released a major transportation revenue bill that would raise around $600 million annually by increasing the gas tax, increasing fees on ride-hailing companies, raising the minimum corporate tax on large corporations, and eliminating a sales tax exemption for rental car companies. Chairman Strauss, thank you for joining us to talk about the bill. My pleasure. So many advocates and legislative leaders are talking about an urgent crisis in transportation funding. What exactly is the urgent crisis that you're trying to address? Well, I think it's one of those things that I think the public knows as well as the policymakers, which is the issue that they deal with every day, whether it's in the metropolitan area here around Boston or anywhere else around the Commonwealth, which is that um, the condition of our roads and our bridges, the reliability and safety, which maybe is even more important with regard to the train system, uh, is not uh, is not up to par. Uh, people have to take too long, and uh, and again, the safety issue uh, always has to be uh, probably paramount in how we view the system, and. It's an issue that uh, we are a victim of uh, some success in the sense that economically the Commonwealth is growing. Certainly, eastern Massachusetts is in terms of the number of vehicles, the number of people that want to get into the central core of the city. And uh, their patience has been uh, really surprising to me uh, as to how they've endured uh, the system that we have, and there's clearly room for improvement, and that's the genesis as to why uh, the House and hopefully the Senate soon will uh, take up these measures. But, Representative, I, it, it, this is sort of a little context thing. Um, it sort of sounds like you're writing to the rescue in a way, but at the same time, as you know, all these types of investments take years and sometimes decades to have a, an impact. And and frankly, you know, the red and uh, orange lines now are getting within a year or two of starting to change, perhaps fairly dramatically. So I'm wondering, is this a, should people say, oh, they're riding to the rescue, we're going to see a big change in the next two years? Or is this really a long-term play? Like, uh, you're, you're setting it up to do some of these changes that are being talked about in commuter rail, regional rail, and, and maybe connecting the blue and red lines. Are you talking bigger future, doing more, in other words, or is it, is it something immediate that you're trying to address? Great question. And so I think it's very important to uh, point out to anyone who's listening that, in my view, uh, it should not be viewed as a coming to the rescue thing. Uh, transportation is something that, uh, frankly, never goes away as an issue. And a big part of why it's uh, more pressing now, I think, is because of uh, a long period of time uh, over several administrations, several legislatures, uh, where not enough attention was paid. So we are trying to do two things at once, which is make up for lost time. And so that, in part, requires uh, the extra effort now, and to get people accustomed to the fact that you can never go away from it. You can't deal with this issue and say, okay, we dealt with that. Let's move on to something else. Transportation always requires care and feeding. So you're talking about $600 million a year approximately in new revenue. 
how much of that will be spent annually, you know, in terms of increased money on the T or on roads versus how much are you going to be using for long-term projects? Uh, uh, A perfect question and a very hard one because what we do when we spend on transportation, and this fiscal year is as good an example as any, the combined spending that occurs right now in Massachusetts is actually over $3 billion this year uh, on all the systems. And it reflects uh, funding that comes in annually and is then spent in the annual Appropriation Act. But it also reflects uh, hundreds of million dollars each year of spending from uh, bond receipts, which are used for the long-term capital projects. So the impact of what we hope will be around $600 million in new revenue is mixed on the two timelines that we think of. Uh, We spend money for operational budgets. That means the day-to-day operations of the T, the highway system, uh, the the non-mass port airports uh, throughout the state. Everything in the system has an annual expenditure. And then we have the long-term projects. So this $600 million will be used for both, depending on what governors from time to time are identifying in their capital improvement projects. So I wish I could. I can't give you a specific allocation but uh, of where the $600 million will go every year. What it is is it's added to the other funding resources that already exist. But at least in the case of the long-term infrastructure spending, which I think the public focuses on more, which is uh, replacement cars, tracks, electronic systems, bridge uh, maintenance, uh, bridge repairs, extension of systems, all those uh, hard project things, and then the big new expansion projects that are throughout the state, uh, is that roughly for every dollar that comes in in revenue that's devoted to long-term borrowing, 20, 25, 30-year debt uh, borrowing on Wall Street, something like roughly $10 comes back and then that dollar a year pays the the loan back. It's very similar to really in concept uh, a mortgage when anyone buys a house. So there is the cash flow to support that debt. What this translates to is an additional several billion dollars in capital projects that can now be undertaken. And do you have any I think what you're saying is you're not saying we want to do this project or that project. That will be up to the the process that takes place around any such project, I guess. So we have a, a combined process. Ultimately, it's up to any administration. But as uh, I think everyone should be well aware, the legislature has a, a key role in identifying significant major projects. So uh, some that uh, listeners are, I'm sure, familiar with is – uh, the the Alston project that is on the drawing boards, but a little more than on the drawing boards. That's the kind of major capital project that has to be contemplated. Another one that's been well covered in the news is uh, the much earlier in the in the process idea of an extension of commuter rail service west of Worcester, so-called east east west rail. There's uh, much more analysis, and we call for that in this bill. It's not in any way near to actual capital spending as a project. Another, whether you like the project or not, 
South Station expansion. I mean, people, I think, are, are very familiar with some of those, those major capital projects. And, of course, much closer to nearing completion would be the Green Line extension. So let's talk about some of the specific ways you hope to raise the money. Um, one of them is increasing the corporate tax minimum, which is essentially the minimum amount that businesses have to pay for t- taxes once you've taken into account all their deductions. Business groups are opposing this increase, saying that money being raised for transportation should come directly from transportation, whether that's things like tolls, fares, congestion pricing, other types of user fees. Why do you feel like money to pay for transportation should come from the business tax? One of the things we heard, at least among House members in the process, that uh, the number of caucuses that myself and, and Ways and Means Chairman Michaelwitz held where we met with uh, smaller groups of, of reps based on either issue identification or, or geography and probably about 10 different of those type meetings with many members overlapping, showing up multiple times, was that uh, one of the things that was essential to them was the public had to perceive that there was a balance and a shared responsibility here so that with regard to the business communities, while uh, traditionally uh, we, we do often think in transportation financing of direct uh, user charges, if you will, like gas tax, road tolling, sales tax on the purchase of, of motor vehicles, things that are linked to the transportation itself. When you think of, and I've always per, per, uh, liked this image, when you think of our public transportation system, whether it's the roads or the mass transit opportunities, these are like public utilities where taxpayers uh, uh, provide them to individuals for private uses but also for businesses. So the transportation system that exists and when it is as uh, a high quality as it should be, that is a business asset as much as anything else, the individual building or uh, business assets that a company may have. So I think it's logically, uh, it makes, it has logic, and I think it's fair to think in terms of what do the businesses get uh, and depend on. And part of it is the transportation system that we have. And a the corporate minimum tax is a proxy, imperfect, but not a bad one, uh, that reflects a level of business activity. In the proposal that will be presented to House members next week, we have a uh, the minimum charge m- remains the same of $456 a year for companies whose revenue does not exceed $1 million. And that's a high percentage of the businesses. But for those that are doing better, the proxy uh, image, if you will, suggests that they depend more on the transportation system helping and benefiting their business. So that's the linkage here. And it does provide that shared burden idea that I think uh, certainly resonates with the membership and I think resonates with the public as well. And another way that you're trying to get more money is from new fees on ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft. You're envisioning keeping the current fee structure for shared rides but adding a dollar more for individual rides and two dollars more for luxury rides. The bill says the fee can't be passed down directly to riders 
So if that's the case, how are you incentivizing behavior changes with a fee that can't be passed on to riders? Uh, this is this is a great one to tackle, and, and I think it's, it's at the heart of uh, trying to understand how sometimes tax policy is not just about raising money, but uh, guiding or affecting or incentivizing certain behavior. So your question has as an, uh, an underlying assumption, I think, that uh, the, that there's one party who we're trying to incentivize in the uh, ride-hailing services, which is the passenger, uh, by key, and, and the proposal, is, as you correctly point out, is that the uh, shared ride, so obviously we're trying to guide or expand that, the shared ride fee would stay at the current 20 cents, and the current statute that uh, it cannot be passed on to the passengers remains in effect. The other party, of course, to the transaction uh, is the company itself. And these are uh, clearly, uh, because of the way they've developed and, and uh, the, the niche uh, the, that they've filled, these are, are highly innovative companies. And so when we say we are providing a, a cost incentive uh, to the businesses, that it will cost them less when passengers take shared rides, it is also our way of saying we want to provide an, uh, a creative incentive for them in uh, making ex or expanding access to the shared rides. So the incentive, I understand your question, you know, assumes it's the passengers who we're trying to direct. But the incentive here, because the cost is being held for shared rides to the companies, that provides a strong incentive for them to, in some way, whether it's the way they compensate their drivers, it's the way the fleet is managed, whatever it is that their creative skills can be unleashed, they now have received a message from Massachusetts, if this becomes law, that uh, shared rides are better for their business model. We're putting that into the tax system uh, because we would like to see that. Why? Uh, that has uh, hopefully an impact on the congestion issues that I think everyone has become aware of with uh, the use of the uh, the TNCs. But does anything prevent the um, TNCs from raising prices for certain types of services that they provide and say, we're not passing along this fee. We're just adjusting our pricing structure to incentivize riders. Well, uh, the... Uh, or is that a legal question? No, no. I, I think uh, it's an economics question because uh, as long as there are two or more of these firms out there, uh, the, the, uh, the competition uh, is their motivation not to outprice themselves. I know plenty of people who, when they are about to take either an Uber or a Lyft ride, will open on their phone both apps and will measure right down to the you know, sometimes uh, 25 cent charge who's, who's going to be less on this particular trip. So uh, the public is well aware of the price competition between the two, and I think that's their motivation not to burden the consumers when faced with these charges. So um, one other question for you. The Baker administration and a lot of business groups as well sort of say, boy, the state's rolling in dough here and we're raising, we're, we have a lot of money. Why do we need to raise these taxes for transportation? And the speaker the other day was also sort of saying this is a, he, he portrayed it as a bridge 
to when the millionaire tax passes. So you have millionaire tax, you have this initiative, and then theoretically down the road, maybe not too far away, you have new tolls around the state. We're talking a lot of money being raised. Uh, is, is this sort of the first step of many? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So uh, the, the first part of your question, I think, was directed to those who may say, well, look at FY20, 2020, and the next fiscal year. What's the revenue picture for the Commonwealth? And it's a good one. But remember here what I said earlier, which is we fund and take care of and plan for transportation projects on two timelines. One is the immediate short term. The other is one that goes out as far as 30 years in terms of the repayment schedule of the, the borrowing that occurs for the big projects. So when we are proposing increased revenue, we're thinking of all of the cycles between now and 30 years from now in the borrowing that will occur. And there will be good times and bad and then back to good, and these are cycles. So we're trying to plan in a dedicated revenue stream, and these funds go into the state's uh, transportation trust fund so the public knows that the money that we're raising is required by the state constitution to only be used for transportation. So we're planning a long-term plan. So if times are good, it's not a reason to say we don't need to plan for the future. If anything, it's the best time to plan for the future when we're not in the middle of an, uh, a near-term financial crisis. Your question then went on to the phrase that the speaker used yesterday, which is uh, the potential ballot question. Obviously, none of us know uh, what the outcome of that ballot question, which seeks to put uh, in the state constitution, a, a charge for uh, income dollars beyond a uh, million dollars uh, to be segregated for uses of public education and transportation. Uh, it probably is a reason I would suggest to people that uh, for those who actually thought uh, the House bill announced yesterday doesn't raise enough, that the Speaker is mindful, as are uh, most other House members, that these other issues are out there. And uh, in, in raising money, the sky is not the limit. Uh, you have to be very careful about the uh, constraints that uh, the businesses and the individuals have. So with that uh, ballot question coming, uh, it's probably the prudent thing to think in terms of uh, a, a more cautious approach. Uh, so I did read some of the, the instant uh, commentators who, who responded to reporter questions yesterday uh, that some, some thought you know, we were crazy to ask for anything and some thought uh, or said uh, they were disappointed that we hadn't asked enough. To be honest, uh, if there are people on both sides of this debate, some who think we didn't go far enough, some who think we went too far, uh, that suggests to me that maybe we're getting it just right. Are tolls, though, uh, you have a, a, set up a, a group, to a commission to study tolls, but it sort of sounds like you want to move in that direction to expand the use of tolls. Um, right. I'm sorry. That was the third part of your question. Uh, <laughs> so uh, one of the other things or issues that's occurring out there is uh, there is, uh, for, for many important reasons, uh, the uh, 
transportation system for both cars and, and trucks uh, is going to move away from uh, fossil fuels, uh, diesel, gasoline. And uh, if uh, that revenue has to be replaced, then we do need a, a transition to occur at some point in the future uh, for the sake of funding transportation, which would be something like either tolls, and everyone's familiar with what that could mean. Uh, the technology has changed the way. Sometimes that can be implemented. Uh, or some of the other models that are elsewhere around the country where a charge is based on uh, distance traveled. Uh, there's one system called vehicle miles traveled, but I, I think that label uh, is, is tough to apply. So the purpose of that commission is to have that discussion so that we can plan a transition because the reasonable expectation is on some timeline, could be 10, could be 15 years, uh, there will be so many less vehicles using gasoline that uh, the roads will still need to be taken care of and we'll, deal, we'll need to f uh, fund their uh, repair and maintenance in some fashion. Um, let me ask you about, uh, there's a provision in there um, that appears to extend the life of the Fiscal and Management Control Board. Um, and if, if, could you explain what that provision is and why, you, why you're taking that approach? Well, the uh, five-year lifespan, so to speak, of the uh, Fiscal Management Control Board for the MBTA, which was created uh, at the governor's request and the legislature's agreement uh, in the, uh, at the end of the, the, the winter of 2015, that's now coming June 30th. If we do nothing, uh, then the control board will go out of existence. Uh, the governor has uh, uh, raised the issue in his House budget document, but the feeling, at least on the House side, was uh, rather than have that dealt with in the budget, which sometimes does go uh, uh, into July, uh, we would be better off getting that in separate legislation now and starting the debate uh, uh, at least a month sooner uh, on the question of the control board. So what has been what is presented to the House next week is a direct extension under the existing framework of the membership size, but on the same model where three years for certain and another two years beyond that, if the governor at the time uh, indicates that the control board is still required. So it is our way of saying right now uh, the control board has established itself uh, in, in many positive ways as a, if not oversight, certainly an additional way in which important T-related issues get addressed and presented to the public. But would a, a new board... Uh, in other words, you'd extend the existing board, but would the existing board members be replaced or would they just continue on for another three to five years? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, in practical terms, uh, I've, I've gotten the anecdotal sense that uh, those that are there now uh, are, are, are happy to complete their, their service. But, uh, but in terms of the, the statute itself, uh, we would extend the existing board so that, and I can't remember their, their, the terms of the existing members, but uh, the idea is that those would continue uh, 
uh, with their uh, potential reappointment dates. But we do, and just to make it clear, the governor's proposal is to expand it. Uh, we have deferred that decision on expanding, frankly, uh, to see what the, the membership's interest is in that nitty-gritty kind of decision during floor debate next week. So it won't surprise me at all if there aren't uh, uh, amendments directly on that uh, issue of how specifically the size of the extended control board would look and, and who are the um, constituencies they represent, whether it would be individual cities uh, as a group. Uh, those are uh, issues that I know many, many members in the T-service area are, are following closely. Finally, before we wrap up, do you think you can get the Senate and governor on board? Well, uh, the governor, in effect, has acknowledged that uh, – and I say in effect because he won't, I think, say it directly, uh, that the transportation system needs more money. He's acknowledged that with his own proposal to increase TNC fees, uh, and he has his own plan. We have a different one for how that money would be spent. And in his own way, he's acknowledged that as much as 17 cents, although as I understand that TCI climate proposal, it actually has no ceiling the way the governor describes it. So he has said uh, lots more money is needed for transportation. So uh, he may not appreciate this, but I consider him an ally in getting more money into the transportation system as soon as possible. You can read more about the House Transportation Bill on our website, commonwealthmagazine.org. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Chairman Strauss. My pleasure. 